Welcome to Beyond the Ball Podcast. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on, ballers? And welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Ball Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Jones. And today, uh, I have the privilege of... of, of uh, having a gentleman on who, who I really believe in, in the work that he's doing and and I'm, I'm excited to actually have him on but before we but before we get to today's guest I want to just um, highlight and underscore the focus of this podcast the focus of beyond the ultimately serve and support student athletes by way of sharing stories strategies and successes so that is the purpose of this podcast and if you know somebody who needs to hear it make sure that you share the podcast with them and, and today's guest, we, we, we have on uh, we, we have on Dr. Emmett Gill, and he is the executive director of Athletes and Advocates for Social Justice in Sports, among so many other things uh, that, that that Dr. Gill does. But I'm grateful to have him on the platform today. Dr. Gill, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate your your work as well, and, and just looking forward to the conversation. Likewise, likewise. And, and, and one thing I've, I've learned about athletics, Dr. Gill, especially the, the college athletics realm, is that when there are people who are doing great things, that those individuals truly elevate or those individuals end up coming across the, the same intersections. And I met Jessica Hazard, doc, Dr. Hazard. I met, I met her and then I had her on a few weeks ago and I said, who do you think I should bring on uh, next? And she said, well, Jonathan, you you have to bring on you have to bring on Dr. M. McGill. You have to bring him on. And then, just like we were talking about before, uh, I, I I had the privilege of you know just tuning in and hearing of one of your sessions uh, that that you were doing with the young men before COVID. So, Dr. Gill, I mean, I, I knew this was this was destined to happen, and I, I'm I'm glad I reached out, and I'm glad you 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 said yes. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate it, and, and Jonathan, I think the world of Jessica. Um, I think we jumped on a call maybe like two or three years ago and, you know, she was getting into this student uh, athlete development role at TCU. And then she shared with me, like she was doing all this, but she's an attorney. And I'm like, what, you know, I'd be out trying to make that money. I don't know if I'm going to mm-hmm. mess with college thing. You got that JV girl. Um, <laughs> but she is just, <laughs> she's just so passionate and strategic and, you know, about what she does. And, you know, I hear great things from the students who work with her, student athletes who've worked, you know, uh, with her, um, who she's helped. Um, so she's just a tremendous asset to the field, to college athletics and to TCU. Yes, sir. I, and and I, I, I definitely agree. I, I definitely agree uh, 110%. So for everybody out there listening, you need to go ahead and go back and listen to that episode with, with me and, and, and Dr. Jessica Hazard. But on this episode, now we're going to focus talking about Dr. Gill. So Dr. Gill, can, can you just give us a, a, a little snapshot about just some of the work that you do? Because I know I introduced you with your title, uh, Executive Director um, for Athletes and Advocates for Social Justice in Sports. But but give, give us a little bit of just, just background about what your what your work is and what you do. Yeah, um, for sure, Jonathan. Well, well, first and foremost, I'm I'm a I'm a licensed social worker, so I've always sort of been a social worker at heart, right? Started um, my social work career um, in the District of Columbia, you know, working for the Urban League, working for Summer Youth Employment, 
um, working for different agencies. So I've always been a social worker, but it just so happened that um, when I moved on to get my terminal degree at the University of Pennsylvania, you know, I was there and I was getting a doctorate and that was cool, you know, but it was like, what are you going to do with it? Right. I don't just don't want to have a doctor to have a PhD behind my name. You know, if I'm going to do, if I'm going to engage in this grind, I got to figure something out. So I took some time off. Um, that was pr more life than anything else and was watching the NBA game, you know, and they were talking about these cats, you know, so-and-so, you know, father was incarcerated. He overcame that. And so-and-so's mother was drug addicted. She overcame that. And I was like, wait, this is social work. It's just happening in sports. Mm. And so my dissertation when I turned to the University of Maryland. So fast forward, you know, one of the things that is important to the field of social work, and I don't think it's as inoculated in other disciplines as others, is social justice, right? This notion of fairness, this notion of um, trying to help the oppressed, um, trying to look at issues, whether it's privilege, discrimination, microaggressions, microassaults, you know, microinsults. And so that's what our profession really focuses on. So you know, when COVID came down and I was like, you know, I got to figure out something different because, um, you know, I left commuting from New York to Texas for a job to stay mm. in. And then George Floyd happened, you know, and then we found out about Breonna Taylor and in the other police involved shootings. So I was like, now is a better time than any to start a social justice effort in sports. So we started this nonprofit that also has uh, a related foundation. Um, and basically, you know, one of the primary pieces, college athletics, you know, and for us in college athletics is the demography of college athletics. It's mental health um, provisions in college athletics. Um, it's a constructive education for black and brown college athletes. It's safe spaces for black female college athletes, it's opportunities for black athletic directors, it's opportunity for black, um, black coaches, Hispanic coaches, Asian coaches. So it's really about social justice in sports because just, just to close on this question, Jonathan, if you really, really look at it, you know, we've done a great job in athletics, whether it's pro or college of looking at social justice issues in society, but we mm -hmm. haven't put that mirror around and looked in the mirror about what we do. It was amazing to me to look at the schools that had their athletes out there marching, you know, but if we walked into, back into their athletic department, their administration is all white. Mm. And so, you know, one of the things that our, our agency is doing right now, and it's primarily through research, right? Because you got to shot, you got to have the statistics. You got to have the data. So, you know, it's just myself. Um, we have a board, but we have, six to seven graduate students who are just plugging out. We know we're doing a piece on voting. You know, what did the schools do with regard to voting? We're doing a piece on behavioral health that'll be coming out shortly. We'll talk about later. And we're also going to shine the light on the fact that, you know, when you look at these schools, you know, primarily African-American athletes are playing men's and women's basketball and football, create intergenerational wealth, but the people that they're creating it for don't look like them. Wow. Wow. Man, you said a lot there, Dr. Gill. That, and, and, I, and I mean, I think that's so rich because it's so true, because I went to a PWI and then I began to look up in my classroom and I began to realize that there was nobody else who looked like me that was a male. 
and, and, and then be, began to look around and starting to realize that in the school of psychology or the psychology department, that there might have been one or two or three other African-American or, or black and brown individuals. So just, just seeing that, but then remembering that when it was time for basketball practice, seven out of 10 guys were black and brown. So just, you know, just, just thinking about that and, and just really focusing on, on what you're saying. I mean, I think now's the time, if, if there ever was, now's the time for those uncomfortable conversations, for people to really, like you said, have to hold up that mirror and have to have a level of accountability. Yeah, yeah, no, well said. And I mean, you know, Jonathan, the interesting thing about it is, you know, when you share experiences like yours, you know, it's like this really had an impact. You know, either I didn't get enough of something or I got too much of something else. It's all what we feed our mind. Mm. You know, so it's like I didn't get enough diversity in my classroom. So really did it. You know, I, I got an education in psychology, but did I get an education in cultural competency that's needed with psychology? You know, it's like, you know, you know, and then how comfortable did I feel, you know, because you know, folks like you and I and some other folks that we share this space with, we're oftentimes the only one. Mm. So we're sitting there and we got this level of discomfort, but we got to be champions for what we do. But we got to have all the answers for all the black people. And then when we're not talking, when I'm not talking about the black people, nobody else is. And then at the end of the day, you know, it's just amazing to me that in particular with these athletic departments, I'm like, you don't walk in your office every day and notice that everybody's white. Like if I, when I walk into certain spaces, I say, oh, everybody black or there's a few white people or there's diversity or there's not. You mean you want to sit here and tell me that you've risen to the position of athletic director and you don't notice that when you come to work every day that everybody." Mm -hmm. And when you go to practice, most of the kids are black. It's like you treat me like I'm stupid. And so we got all that. And then you treat me like, like, just explain it to me. And so you're right. There are uncomfortable conversations. I think the, the, the thing that I've learned, Jonathan, throughout this process over the past 10 months is, you know what? You've got to pick your battles. You're not mm -hmm. going to win all your battles. you got to be respectful. You've got to listen. It's got to be a courageous conversation, right? You can't sit there and, you know, just go at folks. Um, so as much as I'm passionate about it and I believe in what I do, still learning about the best way to go about it um, because it's, it's tough. It, 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 this work has challenged me personally. It's like because I've got to put it down right at five or six or seven o'clock at night. And I've got to let all of those things that have happened to me during that day, just sort of, you know, just 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 put them in a box, just just put them in a place. But it's it's challenging work that I've questioned. I'm like, because, you know, the interesting thing about it, Jonathan, the, the work that you and I do, sometimes you never see the dividends of it. Right. Mm. Especially financially, you're not going to see the dividends of it because you're upsetting people who can help you out. Our dividends come in the human capital that we create. There are people that are going to be coming up to you years from now saying, yo, bro, you don't understand it, but you did this for me. And that's why I do it. You know, I'm not going to get an athletics director's salary or associate athletic director's salary or a coach's salary for what I do. But hopefully I'm helping people. 
And um, but that's still, you know, a tough something to balance sometimes when you're talking about social justice issues. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So so how are you going about doing doing this work? And like, what are some things that like maybe somebody out, outside of you could could begin to do to to do their due diligence in in this fight and in this just conversation? No, that, that's a really great question. Um, you know, Jonathan, what I've been following a model of one of my mentors. When I say mentors, when I need him, he's there. Um, and sometimes when I don't need him, he just happens to, you know, when I, when I don't necessarily reach out to him, that's what I meant to say. He mm-hmm. just happens to show up. And that's Harry Edwards. You know, and Dr. Edwards, you know, he challenged the establishment. And he did it by qualitative and quantitative research, right? Anecdotal. So whether it's collecting all of the shootings that have happened with our athletes since COVID started, or all the opt-outs that have happened, you know, we figure a way to count those and quantify them. So the first part is collecting the data. The second part, like I just said, is challenging. You've got to challenge people but what I think I'm, I'm learning for Dr. Edwards is you have to challenge them in a way where you don't burn the bridge, right? Mm. It's have, you know, a, a pathway to collaboration. And then the last part is you do what you do and you hope that it has an impact. But if you don't see what we were just talking about, that immediate impact, you have to trust, you know, that what you're doing is, is right. And, and I think also you have to have an unselfish heart about it, right? Because if you're really into this all in, then again, I'm not supposed to see the dividends, but the kid that just got hired in behavioral health at USC, the black man, he sees the dividends. Mm. Young black man that just got hired at the University of Tennessee in behavioral health, he saw the dividends. One of my colleagues is now working in NFL and con- cultural competency. He's seeing the dividend. And I think that that's what I learned from Dr. Edwards is not only did he fight for social justice, but he opened up a path for others like me to do the work. And so it's not so much the research. It's not so much the challenging that you need to do, you know, being on social media, doing podcasts like this and doing the other thing. And then a lot of prayer. But there's some things that you have to first get right with yourself. Because, you know, you are the instrument for change. And unless you've transformed your mind, right? T.D. Jakes, you know, talks about a transformed mind, not a changed mind, but a transformed mind. Because, you know, you don't change overnight. You change over time. Mm. But in order to do that work for people who are out there doing it, that's the thing that I would say first. You got to check who you are. and you know, what your values are about, and, you know, making sure that, that, that you have a strong, whatever your, whatever your foundation is, whether it's your family, whether it's your faith, whatever it is, because this work is not for, for, for the, for the weak minded. It's just not, that's why a lot of people ain't doing it. Right. I mean, I'm going to be real with you. Right. One of the challenges that I have, and I had to get over this. I'm like, where are my black colleagues? I look, where, where's my back? Like, where's my back? Mm-hmm. You know, I was on a listserv with 300 mental health professionals over the past couple of weeks, you know, and the organization's like 90 percent white. And I love all people. 
right? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, you know, I love all male, female. I love, I love everybody. So everything isn't about race. But I was sitting there and I was like, I know it's 10 people in this organization, black people, and ain't none of them said nothing about what we're talking about. And I really had to get over that and say, you know what? It's not for some people. You know, some people got to pay their mortgage. Some people got a car payment, you know? And so you can't expect everybody to do what you do. So a lot to go back to your question is getting yourself right to do this work and then understand the research, the social media, the PR and the way the system works, right? I don't send emails to athletic directors anymore. I send them to college presidents. Mm. I, don't, I, don't, I don't send, if I, if I might have an issue with behavioral health. So you know what? I know I send some things to coaches because I know they really care. So it's, it's, it's also about strategy. Sometimes you got to go around people rather than going straight up. I hope I answered your question. I might've been all over the place. No, you answered it. I mean, and you get you get you get me so much more just, just to even think about it and, and just the process through because you're you're right. There are a lot of people who might be in the position to where they're like, I, I mean, I want to join forces. I want to be a part of of what Dr. Gill's doing. I want to be a part of social change. I want to do this for the greater good. But at the same time, that that they are facing that fight because I I was on a I was on a call. It, it was right around. It was a few months ago. And it, it was a handful of coaches, black, white, Hispanic, just all across the board. And, and then they began to talk about, or the question was posed on the floor. Do you know of a coach who is in a position to where they won't voice their opinion about some of the social injustices that are happening just for the sake of them keeping their job? And then some, some people are like, yeah, people have told me, or they said friends or colleagues have told them that their president or AD or whoever it might be, they told them that if you say something, then you're, you won't, basically you won't have a job. You won't be protected. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's so true, you know? And that's why, you know, if we go way back in the day, you know, folks like John Cheney, you know, folks like Vivian Stringer, you know, John Thompson, bless that man and God bless his soul. You know, those were rare. Those folks are rare, you know. Um, you know, when we look at things that happen, like you know what happened with Ty Ty Willingham, and we see the way some of our black football coaches, you know, sort of stay on the sidelines today. And that's not to say that they don't do the work, right? They do the work in a different way, right? And sometimes you have to trust and know and have faith that they're doing that. I mean, you know, I know there are black coaches out there who have a you know, outwardly supported things that I do, but I know they're changing lives in their locker room. I got that. I got that. So, so a lot of this social justice work is really finding some balance. You know, it's really sort of understanding and being able to accept the way people do their work. It's really being able to meet people. Look, if you can't give me a quote, can you give me a donation? Right. <laughs> To help us do our work, to pay our graduate students. You know what I'm saying? If you can't say or or or, or, or cooperate what I'm saying, just can you retweet it? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really about looking in those cracks and crevices to find um, opportunities to collaborate where everybody feels comfortable, where at the end of the day, like I said, you may not see the meter move, but you've moved the meter. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. Dr. Gill, what would you say is different from the, from the time that you played to just what the student athletes are, are facing now, just as a whole? Because I know you, you, played, you played baseball, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I played, I played college baseball. And, you know, it's just different, Jonathan, because, you know, just the resources um, were different. Um, you know, I played in the late 80s, right? So I was just looking up, um, gosh, I can't remember her name. She was the former AD at Tennessee State. Jeez. Teresa, her name escapes me. Point of the story. I was looking up the, like the first black females to play in major conferences, right? Mm. So the first black male college athlete didn't play in the SEC on full scholarship until 1977. I went to play at UNC 10 years later in 1987. I could tell you every black student on that campus, right? Because we were together. Like we were like, we, whether you came from Yanceyville, North Carolina or Durham, North Carolina, you came with a crew mm. and the crews got together. So it wasn't like today, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't 3.5 or 3.7% black. It was like 0. 0.9, 0. 0.8, 0.6% black. So that was the first thing. I think the second thing is just, you know, of course, the enormous amount of resources. Like now you see volleyball, you see track, you see swimming, you see, you know, beach volleyball, you see all of those on TV. So there's that greater exposure, right? Nobody knew who UNC, UNC Charlotte's baseball team was unless we wore our gear. Now, you knew our basketball because we had Jeff Mullins as a coach. We had Byron Dinks as a point guard. You know, we had some players who, who could really play in the Sunbelt Conference was coming up. You had Western Kentucky. You know, you had a couple of those other schools where there were ballers. Um, but the, the, the spotlight wasn't on us. There was no social media. You know, so you really had a chance, in my opinion, to develop some identity. Mm. Not full identity, but some identity. You know, Jonathan, my cell phone in college was about the size of a textbook, right? <laughs> it had a little strap on it, right? right? It had it had a uh, it had an antenna, you know what I'm saying? And I could I could unhook it and put it in my car, and it worked just as well, right? You know what I'm saying? It was it wasn't no apps, you know what I'm saying? You know, calls I couldn't make too many calls, right? I still had to go down in the dorm and use the payphone, you know what I'm saying? So I had time. I had time to, you know, learn how to throw a frisbee. I had time to read different books. I had, you know, I had, I had when I went to study hall, like I really had to study, right? I had to sit down in a wooden desk, you know, that I could barely fit in and, and, and hit the books, you know? So I think that's the biggest thing. It's like athletes now, they have all of these distractions that only allow them to invest in their athletic identity. And that's one of the things that worries, worries me about this name, image and likeness legislation. It's like, okay, well, these athletes, they can go out and make commercials and do all these things and be influencers, but they really can't be related to their athletic identity. And for a lot of our black and brown mm. athletes, that's the only identity that they have. And everybody's afraid, oh, well, they're going to be making all this money and recruiting inducements and all. No, what? Go the 80 
70, 80 percent of our black athletes, their identity is totally tied up in their athletics. And they're great sons. They're great Christians. They're great artists. They're great musicians. They're great writers. But it's again, I, I was listening to something again by T.E. Jakes. You are what you feed your mind. Mm. What we feed most of our athletes is four or five hours of practice a day. We feed, we feed them playbook. We feed them team meetings. We feed them team appearances. And that's what they become. So to go back to your question, I try and do this because I can go off a man and go off. You know, for me, it was just having space, you know, to be who I wanted to be and to compete in a sport where my coach made a, a lot of money. He made he made a good amount of money, but he was a good man. He was a good man. And, you know, he came to me one day and he said, look, you know, if you don't bring your grades up, you're not doing me any good. You can't play. So here's your stuff. Clean out your locker. Go to summer school. When you're ready to be a student athlete, you come back. White man. Mm. There are things that he said to me that carry over to this day. And I haven't seen him since I graduated. And so I think the other part is, to, to close on your question, it's the coaches. You know, coaches used to be teachers. Mm. Coaches used to be educators. Now anybody who can go out and recruit somebody and drop some plays, you know, they claim to be a coach. No, a coach is big house game, right? Coach is John Wooden. Coach is Coach Thompson, Coach Chaney, Vivian Stringer. You know, coaches, Pat Summit. You know, those are coaches. They're educators. And, and that's what I think I, I, I miss the most about the infrastructure of college sports is that, you know, you just got a bunch of people now. I mean, you know, that situation at Wichita State, mm. you know, with their coach and what he did, or Colorado State, or what that coach did, or Penn State, you know, what that coach is accused of. I mean, you don't think that we're going to come out with somebody having a COVID scandal after this is all done, where somebody's going to be saying, you know what, we had – 20 positive tests and we reported one positive test and this is what really going. I mean, it, it's become such a business, you know, that, that the coaches, you know, a lot of them have lost their moral compass. And I, I, I swear to God, I thank Gary Robinson every day for, for one thing that he said to me, you know, in practice one day, I learned how to hit finally any ball that I wanted to hit. I could hit it opposite field. He said, you finally got it. You worked at it. You got it. There's nothing that you can't do if you don't work on it. That I hear, like, anytime I have a challenge, anytime I have a problem in life. And I think, you know, our industry right now, there are not a lot of coaches out there. There, there, Let me say that. Let me go back and say the majority of coaches, I think, that are out there now don't have that philosophy. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying, I mean, I think there is some truth there because when there's a dollar amount attached to wins and losses, then I think that ultimately determines what one's philosophy is or how one begins to develop or cultivate a philosophy. So I, I, I definitely think there's a lot of truth there. And especially in, you know, and especially if we're talking power five or major D1, D2, I mean, D3, if, if you're not winning games, then that, that creates an issue. So, yeah. uh, you know, so sometimes developing, developing the, the, the individual, developing the, the student, that, that could fall by the wayside at times. 
Yeah. And that's why, you know, Missouri, University of Missouri, you know, I got a lot of respect for the school, you know, what they did in 2015 with the boycott, but also what they're doing with their men's basketball program in Kwanzaa Martin. You know, decent record, but in terms of leading young men, there's no one, no one else that I would rather have there. You know, he's going to get there wins and losses wise. He's going to get there because he's that kind of man. But, I mean, he's leading young men, and the university is sticking with him through that. And, you know, if we just have more schools, you know, like that, um, I think that the experience for the college athlete would be so much better. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I have I have the utmost respect for, for, for Coach Martin, without a doubt. I have, have the utmost respect. So now with you just being in – you know, and in, 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 in doing this work, what, what's what's the biggest inspiration for you in doing this work? How do you show up after a tough day knowing that, you know, that, that, that sometimes you're not getting your message across. Some people aren't hearing you. Some people are not seeing your heart. What truly inspires you to show up with your hard hat and, and with your lunch pail to do this work daily? Yeah. Uh, tell my wife because my wife keeps telling me you got to do something to get more money. <laughs> <laughs> she she gives me the space to do this, and, and I'm so thankful for that. She's also been very helpful in terms of my faith um, and my growth and my relationship with God. That is is critical to that. I think it all starts with what my father said. You know, he's like, you got a lot of tools in your tool belt. And the only thing that I ask of you is that you try and leave this world in a better place than when you got here. And that's that's really it. You know, I know there are not a lot of people out there that are going to do this work because the work is so ambiguous. Right. You don't know if that button you push is, is really working. You don't know if if this effort that you're doing is, is having any impact. Right. I mean, right now, job boards are blowing up with diversity inclusion positions, but really is it diversity and inclusion, right? I mean, when I think about champions of diversity and inclusion, I think about like um, um, Charlotte Westerhouse, who's the first diversity and inclusion officer for the NCA back, you know, Miles Brand appointed her back and Charlotte was a champion. She was like, you know, she, she had the dog in her when it came to diversity and inclusion. And so it's sort of folks, it's sort of folks like that, you know, it's sort of like, Unfortunately, some days I wake up and I say, you know what, if my funeral is tomorrow, you know, who's going to show up and what are they going to say? You know, and and my goal is always that, you know, he he was a champion for what he believed in. He helped other people. And and, and that's really just just just, you know, what drives me. It's like somebody's got to do this. So somebody somebody's got to do it. And I think I believe what my father said. He's, I think the skill set that I have that I've been blessed with, you know, allows me to do that. I can write, I can research, I can talk, right? You know, I can, I can dress the part. Um, I can talk across, you know, different, you know, I can, you know, I can go put on my suit and my sneakers, right? I, I don't wear ties anymore or I can put my hat on backwards. I can, I can hang in the boardrooms. I can, do that, infiltrate those spaces if I need to, to do that work. And I think, you know, it's, it's a testament to my parents. It's a testament to my family, you know, that they've sort of primed me to be able to work in different spaces. Um, but that, 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 that's what, sort of what gets me up. And then it's, it's just the emails that I get, 
or the cause. Appreciate your work. Keep doing what you do. You know, know it's hard, um, you know, but, but change is coming. You know, today was a tough day, sort of waking up just because um, I know that I've got to get ready to do this LinkedIn Live piece next week. And I know that, you know, there are going to be people who are going to, um, you know, throw shade on this report. But I had this conversation with the assistant coach, um, basketball coach, Kevin Sutton. And after I got off the call with Kevin, I was just, I felt so much better. You know, because of the positive words and, 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 the, and the spiritual spin that he put on everything, I just, I just felt so much better. So it's the calls, it's the, it's the emails, it's the texts, it's what my father said, it's the, it's, the, it's the work that others and the belief in people who've invested in me is the support of my wife. Um, that keeps me going. You know, um, I'm really hopeful that this, this work that we're doing with athletes and advocates for social justice and sports is going to make change. I really am. Um, but at the end of the day, right, do we judge ourselves on the outcome or do we judge ourselves on the effort? Mm. And I really tend to try and, and, and look at my effort more and more um, because my heart's in a good place and I'm okay with that. Wow. Wow. Dr. Girl, I'm definitely I'm definitely have to bring you back on. We got we got to sit, sit down again. But 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 before I let I let you go on on this go around, I want you just just to talk a little bit about about the piece that you're doing on LinkedIn and 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 just talking about uh just just the the report card that 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 you're putting together and uh just just talk a little bit about that because I, I, I when I saw it I, I was like I've never seen anything like this just in regards to research but also just you know some of the facets and some of the areas that that you were covering and diving in on. Yeah, for sure, Jonathan. And I, I'd love to, to come on anytime. If you haven't noticed, I like to talk. So I just <laughs> talk and I talk and I talk. But I'm um, really excited. So, right, I'm, I'm former director of student athlete wellness and personal development at the University of Texas. And I think that Texas is an outstanding place, you know, for student athlete development. We just hired, right? We hired, um, I think his last name is Don, Arnie Don, from, from TCU. So we've got somebody in student athlete development. We've got a couple of social workers in there. Um, and so I'm into behavioral health. But what I noticed um, when I went to the behavioral health uh, workshop uh, conference for the Atlantic Close Conference, I just kept looking across the room. And I'm like, this room has to be about 97% white. And I'm like, 97% of the mental health providers are in here white. Now, I grew up on Tobacco Road, right? So I grew up down the street from Duke. I know Duke's basketball team ain't 97% white. I grew up the road down from North Carolina, famous Amos, you know, Lawrence Taylor. I know Carolina's football team wasn't 97% white. I grew up about 10 miles away from North Carolina State, you know, Terry Gannon, Jim Valvano, Derek Wittenberg, Sidney Lowe, Lorenzo Charles, Thurl Bailey. Only a couple of them are white. So I kept wondering to myself, I'm like, who's providing services to these kids? Now, Jonathan, you and I know just because I'm black doesn't mean that I can relate to all black people. And just because I'm white doesn't mean I can't relate to black and brown people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that when kids walk into a mental health department or a unit, you know, there's enough stigma around mental health for black folks that we need to have choices. 
whether it's a male, whether it's a female, whether they're black, brown, white, Asian, Pacific Islander, we need those choices. But we don't have those choices if, if that room was 97% white. So with my background, I just thought, again, going back to data, that collecting data was important. You know, when it, there's an a, a, a organization out there called um, ABIS, and it's, it's uh, Association of Blacks in Sports. And their mantra is, do you see what I see? Mm. And so I come up with something to demonstrate, to, to start showing people, do you see what I see? And so we decided to, myself and a couple of others, we've had 27 student athletes work on this, five graduate students, three PhDs. And we decided that we go out and we collect the data so you can see what I see. And, you know, it's been pretty interesting, you know, because a couple of groups, you know, that group that I shared with you earlier, you know, a lot of pushback. I'm like, look, 80% of the providers in the Power Five conferences are white. You know, we only have across all Power Five conferences, we only have 10 females and nine males who are black working with our student athletes. Mm. But I've got a university who sends out an email that says they have a position that's earmarked for a culturally diverse psychologist that they've had for two years. And they tell me they haven't been able to fill the position. Mm. When I've got, I can call up 10 black psychologists right now. So, you know, we designed this report to look at race, gender, and discipline, because discipline is important in mental health, right? Social workers, licensed professional counselors, psychologists. Some black folks don't go to psychologists. Some folks understand that social workers can be helpful. The only thing that they, the, the only, taking people's kids is not the only thing they do, right? Mm. Social workers provide upwards of 60, 70% of the mental health services in America. So, so to, to, to close, Jonathan, really it's just about shining the light on the problem, right? One of the things that the challenges that we have with social justice in sports right now, again, is people don't want to look inward. Right. They get offended when they, you know, oh, Lord, why are you talking about that? We've come so far. Well, yeah, we have come far. We've 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 come tremendously far. Ward Manuel's AD at the University of Michigan. You know, Candace is a Candace Williams down at, at, at Vanderbilt University. You know, we've seen some tremendous, you know, uh, uh, my man who's now uh, Kevin, who who's the, the head of the Big Ten Conference. We made tremendous strides, but. Our athletes if anything hasn't proven during this time of COVID and social unrest that our kids need mental health services and they need culturally appropriate people who have cultural humility and understand cultural relativity, people who are absent of, of implicit bias and understand the notion of anti-racism, more than anything, we need it right now. You know, we got kids who are traveling entertainment right now in terms of football, Locked up in their locked up in their dorm rooms, and if they're basketball player, locked up in the going through all this testing. If anybody needs mental health services now, it's them. And so this report is just that effort. But the thing about it is, Jonathan, what are we going to follow it up with? Mm. And that's what we've been working on. What are we going to follow it up with? Because going back to what I was saying about Harry Edwards, okay, you criticize. But now I got to provide opportunities, collaborate, right? I just can't sit around criticizing. Now I got to offer to help. 
That's going to be the question. Now I want to go to these athletic departments and say, okay, listen, we'd like to offer you, you know, low budget opportunities for you to evaluate your mental health services for black and brown college athletes. But wait a minute, you was just talking about us over there on LinkedIn. Now you want to come and help us. Well, I'm just going by what my mentor said. This is the way Harry Edwards did it. Good enough for him. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for Richard Lapcheck. It's good enough for me. So we're going to see if it works. Man. Well, I mean, Dr. Gill, if, if, if I can give my just, if I can give my feedback just on that, Man, I think I, I think that's necessary because I remember I'm not sure how long ago it was that I was reading that that there was a consultant that I'm not going to throw out no university names, but they brought a consultant in and I think they paid him like 40, 50 something K, something ridiculous. And and, you know, when you put the term consultant on stuff, there's no telling what somebody's going to do. At least you're clear about what the goal is, what the objective is and what you're trying to help them accomplish. And. And I mean, at the end of the day, we, we've spent a lot more on stuff that didn't serve and support nobody in the long run anyway. So I, I think that we people need to become very intentional where they're investing their money and they need to be investing it in places that's going to do what they say that they're striving to do. And that's setting these students up for long term success. And that's why I appreciate having you on today. That's why I appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing. And I mean, that, that's, that's really why I wanted to get you on, because I, I, I knew because like, I mean, you, you were saying you have no problem talking, but I appreciate it because when you when you open your mouth to, to speak, you're sharing value and you're helping you're helping us ultimately elevate by just expecting more. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I appreciate it, Jonathan. I really do. And again, you know, you providing, you know, these these spaces to talk and, and I'm, I'm hoping that is helpful. You know, one of the things that I will say is that, you know, one of the things that I'm working on again is, is just maintaining, not burning bridges, you know, keeping a little, uh, keeping opportunities up for collaboration, but it's just like you go to that example with the consulting, you know, a lot of this is about relationships, you know, sports. So much of this is about relationships. You know, but again, you know, if, if you're not letting any of us in the room, then how can we build a relationship with you? We just want to come. We want to come hang out in the room. We want to we've got we've got some things that could be, you know, sort of helpful to you. It's, it's you know, and I, I'll just it's, it's just it's just so interesting how some of my practitioners of a different race or a different gender tell me what it's like you know, when I'm working with black males. And I'm like, I know I don't know it all. You know, I know that my situation is different from somebody who grew up in Houston or somebody who grew up in the Bronx. Or I know that. But like, you're telling me? Come on now. I mean, that's like, it would be a lot easier if you just invite me to the table and help me help your program. Than, than what you're going about. Because I'll go back and I'll say, the thing that's also different, you know, sort of about, you know, college athletics then as opposed to now is, you know, again, we we gave the, the kids that freedom, you know, to, to, to sort of figure out, you know, who they are. And there weren't so many influences on us telling us who we were supposed to be. You know, it's like, you really got to let kids go out and figure things out. But that's what these athletic departments are afraid of. 
They're like, Lord, have mercy. I don't want that kid to be woke. I just want him to focus on that playbook. I want him to focus on helping my family make that money. Don't, don't, please, don't, don't y'all mental health professionals wake him up. That would just be the worst thing. He might start thinking about things like, uh, you know, justice and fairness. And he might be thinking, you know, he want to switch his major to, from Swahili, you know, to psychology. Please don't do that. Lord have mercy, don't do that. It's going to mess with my money, y'all. Listen, y'all stay away from him. Look, I'm going to be the coach, the counselor, and the parent. Oh, Lord, don't let him talk to his parents because they might be woke too. It's, it's interesting. But I ain't going to get started, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate this opportunity. Oh, man, Dr. Gill. Oh, man, I didn't know you had the jokes too. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you got them. Oh, Dr. Gill, I'm, I'm going to let you get ready to get out of here. But before I do, I always like to run the guests through this thing. I like, I like to call it a two-minute drill. And, and, and the two-minute drill is, is just for fun. I'm going to ask you just a few rapid-fire questions uh, just so people can get to see like, like a different side of you outside of your work and outside of just, you know, the areas you focus. So I have about a, a handful of questions. So uh, I'm just going to ask you those questions. We can answer and then we can put a bow on it. We can wrap it up and then. I'll send you on your way. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Favorite food? Pizza. What kind of pizza? Pepperoni. Okay. Okay. Thin pizza. New York style. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, what's the last book you read? Uh, Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Meyer. Hmm. Okay. What's the what's what's the most underrated cereal? Oh, that's a good one. Apple Jacks. Oh, wow. Apple Jacks. That's classic. Okay. Uh, your favorite podcast? Oh, gosh. I'm not I'm not a big podcast person. I'm going to tell you. The last one that I listened to was Darren Roberts' podcast. Uh, Darren Roberts with the UT Sport and Innovation Center. So okay. I'm trying to get into podcasts. Soon okay. it's going to be yours. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> fair enough fair enough and then uh the, the last question i have for you is last question i have is what's one tip that you want to share with the student athlete you can take your time i guess my tip would be spend some time with yourself you know the top two people that i really think you should spend time with you know are yourself and the lord you really got to spend some time with yourself and really just sort of figure out who you are, figure out what you do well, figure out what you don't like, figure out what you need to work on. Hmm. You know, um, I think, you know, as a society, we're gotten away from spending. I mean, even me, you know, I'm trying to get away from picking up my phone every two minutes, you know, and, and really figure out who I am. You know, it's much like, the instructions to a big screen TV, right? If you don't read those instructions, you don't figure out how to use all the features of that television. If you don't figure out how you work, then you're never gonna be able to fully realize who you are. And you can't put that on your coach. You can't put that on your academic advisor. You can't put that on your AD. You certainly can't put it on your parent. That's your responsibility. You know, you're a fine, you're a Lamborghini, 
God made you into a Lamborghini. You got to figure out how to drive it or else it's just no good to anybody else. But it's, it's hard today to spend time just by yourself, building a relationship with yourself, building a relationship with your savior. If, if, if that's what, if that's what you believe in, um, that, that would really, really be my advice. Man, that, that's that's good. I haven't I haven't heard nobody put it like that before. That was that was a, that was a really that was a really good gym. That was a really good gym. And now I, I asked Dr. Jessica Hazard, so now I have to ask you also: Who would you like for me to have as a guest on Beyond the Ball next? Um, man, I got a few people, but I I think the gentleman that I mentioned, Kevin Sutton. Um, and I can't remember which school Kevin is coaching at right now. It slips my mind, but 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 he's a good one. He he would be a good one to have on there. Um, okay. That that would be the person. Yeah, Kevin Sutton. Kevin Sutton. Okay. And if you're looking for something that's more so like really different. And also edges on sort of the pro sports things. Um, Valen Alford, she works for the Player Care Foundation for the NFL, but she's also like she's like she she has this these all these certifications like in sex therapist, but it's not about that, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's and she's just about as real and as raw but is smart and has as much practice with him as anybody I know in the pro sports mental health business. So those, those are the two, Kevin and, and Val and people. That okay. I okay. Okay. I, I might, might need you to, you, to facilitate a connection there and then we can, we can make sure about, uh, make sure about seeing how we can, how we can get them on. Um, sure. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to kick it over to you one more time. Oh, what you, what you got Dr. Yeah. No, 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 I'm good. Oh, okay. I thought you had something, but I, I, I want to kick it back to you though, and let people know where they can fo- follow you, how they can connect with you, and also about how they can find out uh, about uh, the report that you're going to be releasing or the live that you're going to be doing um, coming up. Yeah, just just check us out. Um, I'm on. Let me see Twitter. You know, Emmett Lee Gill Jr. or Emmett Lee Gill, excuse me. Um, on LinkedIn, just Emmett Gill. We will be airing. Uh, a a live preview um, of the report card on Monday, um, December 7th um, from 7.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, The report will also be available after that on www.socialjusticeinsports.org. And our organization is also on Twitter. I think it's socialjust.org. I ate, but, you know, Google us, um, you know, we'd love to have folks join in our effort. Um, you know, we're, we always looking for thoughts, volunteers, encouragement. Um, there are lots of ways to get involved with our nonprofit organization. And, and Jonathan, thank you again so much for this time. It, it, this has been really cool. I've never gone through the, the rapid question. Um, uh, peace. So that, that that was that was really cool. I appreciate that opportunity.
Cool, cool, cool. Well, I appreciate you just just taking the time to hop on. And Doctor, you, I'm, I'm I'm probably gonna need to get with you to help you to get your own podcast because you need to have your own podcast, or y'all need to have one for, you know, j- just uh, ultimately just serving and supporting and in, in, in the work that that you all do. I, I mean, I think I think it would be beneficial, and you know, I, I definitely can help you help you get that going. But we, we can talk about that offline uh, n- another time for another day. Sounds good. Well, let's schedule some time, man, and just keep keep doing what you're doing. Very talented, very talented at your work. And if there's any way that I can be helpful to your work, by all means, let me know. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, likewise to you as well, Doc. Everybody out there listening, I would encourage you all to share this episode with one friend. I would encourage you to share it with three friends, actually, because this was a really this was a really good episode. Doc, yeah, I, I really enjoyed just our conversation, getting to hear about your story getting to hear the passion behind the work that you do after I've seen you in action as well. So everybody out there listening, be sure to share this episode with two, three, five, however many friends that, that you can click and you can add into a post. <laughs> and uh, man, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and all other platforms. And uh, we want to thank Dr. Gill for taking the time to hang out with us in the virtual studio. And, uh, I'm Jonathan Jones, and this is Beyond the Ball, where we help you succeed beyond your degree.